Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan. Joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's a lot to talk about. It's postseason basketball. We got state and nationals to get to. So I know you're probably as excited as I am to get things rolling. This is Tuesday evening. We'll get things rolling tomorrow with state basketball. Well, it's a it's a glorious time of the year. It's uh, you know I've been covering state basketball every year since, gosh, since at least two thousand. And actually, one of my first professional gigs was uh, freelancing for the Hutch News at state tournament in Topeka one year. So, uh, I've I've been doing this for quite a while, and uh, it, it it never it, it is never exci- not exciting, Scott. I, I I always look forward to this uh, this week. Well, let's uh, let's start off with some state previews. Let's go to the. Um, class 3A, where you and I will be on Wednesday and Thursday, um, and the, it was also the two teams that we're going to be covering was the substate that we covered. It was the Nickerson substate, and we'll start off on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. It's going to be uh, number two-seeded Heston at 22-1. and one. They're going to take on the seven-seed Hugoton, who is 19-4. and four. Again, I had, had the privilege of the Number one and number two team in the state Saturday in Nickerson. Of course, Heston and Cheney matched up. And Heston, Brad, they looked really, really good against Cheney. And they won that game by, I believe it was 11 point, 10 or 11 points. I don't remember the exact final now. But they won that game without hitting a three-point shot. And that, to me, made Heston's win over Cheney in the sub-state championship even more impressive that they did it without a three-point basket. <laughs> that's uh that's amazing that that just and it just goes back to what we said all along that the this, this Hessen team can beat you in a multitude of ways I mean there's so many ways they can beat you and we kind of had an inkling that Braden Schilling would have a big game for them on Saturday against Cheney and uh sound like he had a pretty good game but for them to not to even need a three-pointer to, to win a game I mean that's I don't care what level of basketball you're playing I mean that, that's almost unheard of to to win a game uh, especially a high-caliber game without a three-pointer. So uh, it just shows you once again just how tough Heston is to be because they can beat you in a million different ways. And again, it was uh, it was their defense. Uh, it was just fantastic all game long, frustrating. She actually was 49-41, so it wasn't quite double figures, but it stayed right around that um, 8 to 12-point margin most of the second half. They made a nice run in the third quarter and just never did allow Cheney to really get any kind of a rhythm. Um, kind of like we saw Cheney when they beat Haven, uh, they made Cheney into more of a jump shooting team. Um, a few times Cheney was able to get to the rim, but again, that Heston defense, uh, just such a staple for them. And, and again, it enables them to win in multiple ways again on a night where they, weren't particularly shooting outside very well, but they got to the rim and got to the foul line. And um, to me, I know they're the two seed here, but to me, they are the odds on favorite here in Hutchison. I mean, without a doubt, with a lot of players back from last year's state championship team, but I tell you what, there's, there, there's some, uh, there's, there's some landmines out there in class three, a uh, Galena last year's state runner up, uh, just one loss on the season has pretty much everybody back, including a very, very good backcourt that we'll, we may get a chance to see after the 6 o'clock game on Wednesday. And then Southeast Saline, the number four seed, watch out for them. They usually play a pretty tough schedule, pretty tricky team to, to match up against. So that's another team I'm kind of curious about. I, I 
I agree that Hessen's the 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 heavy favorite, but it's it's going to be a dogfight, I think. And Hugoton, um, I didn't get to be at the Sterling um, midseason tournament this year. They're they're always a team that comes up um, to that tournament. What do, what do you think of Hugoton at nineteen and four, given uh, Heston a ball game? You know, Hugoton's usually uh, they usually have a pretty good team. Um, they were the number two seed in their sub-states. And you look at the teams that they've lost. They've lost two games to 6A Olathe West. So that's certainly two losses you can't really hang your head about. They lost to Scott City, usually a pretty good team. And they also lost to Lakin uh, by nine, who was the top seed in that sub-state. So it's just usually kind of my experience that those teams in the far southwestern, sometimes, not always, but sometimes just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I just don't know if they play the, the caliber of team sometimes that maybe a Heston plays. Uh, it, it, it's certainly going to, I think, be a good game. I mean, they got some quality wins. They beat Holcomb a couple times this year. We know that Holcomb's always good. They beat Sterling by 14 this year. Mm-hmm. So, and, and they beat Southeast of Saline. So this is still a pretty good team. And, it's, and then, of course, uh, you know, with the two uh, losses, half of them to Olathe West, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what team in 3-8, except for maybe Heston, that could beat Olathe West. Yeah, that's uh, it'll be interesting to see. And again, that'll be our uh, six o'clock game on Wednesday night. We move into Thursday night when the girls will get going. And of course, we will have again a six o'clock game. I kind of like that. Uh, Nickerson, they ended up garnering the two seed, they're 22 and one. They'll take on a front neck team that is 15 and five. Again, I had the the championship game on Saturday there in Nickerson. And it was, it was an interesting game. I'll tell you what, Brad Heston came out and they executed their game plan very, very well. We knew they, that coach Richardson, he'd have something to be able to try to not shut down. You're not going to do that, but control Ava Jones from repeating what she did against Wichita um, independent 36 and 20 that night they held her to 12 points i mean they threw everything at her i mean if it was a zone the minute she touched a ball there was two or three players collapsing on her i noticed that one time they were playing a diamond and one combo defense uh if they went man it was an immediate double team when she got the ball they did a great job on her and to her credit jones was a really good passer she didn't try to force it and then Josie McLean steps up, hits four triples, leads away with 18. This was actually a nine-point game when the fourth quarter started. Heston started the quarter 7-0 run, and I thought, okay, here we go. It's 39-37. Nickerson ended the quarter and the game on a 9-0 run to close it out. Well, first of all, all kinds of credit to Matt Richardson and that Heston team. And we've seen his teams a lot through the years because not only do they give Nickerson a really good game, but they beat the one team that beat Nickerson this year. That, that was Cheney in the semifinals. So that wasn't a fluke that they were not just in that game, but they also gave Nickerson a great game. As a matter of fact, I think it was the third time they played him. And the, one of those games was just a 33-25 win for Nickerson. So, you know, Matt Richardson knows how to coach, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, Josie McLean, what, what, what a great job. You know, the coach's daughter coming out and having, a, you know, maybe the best game of her high school career at a time when her team needed her the most. Uh, we look around the rest of that bracket a little bit. Silver Lakes, the number one, 22 and one, the three seed on Nickerson side of the bracket. And again, another familiar team, Hugoton. Um, they're back in the state tournament. They always come to the Sterling tournament. They'll play uh, Santa Fe Trail. 
the four seed, somebody we don't know a lot about, uh, Goodland, and they're southeast of Saline. We know their girls uh, are really tough. They're the five seed. Uh, any Anybody you like out of that group we just mentioned to uh, really give Nickerson a, a challenge? Well, Scott, I think Frontenac may actually. Their first-round opponent might may be able to give them a challenge. Uh, they've got five losses on the season, two coming to undefeated Pittsburgh Colgan, and one of those was by just four points. They lost to Columbia Hickman out of Missouri. They lost to Springdale out of Missouri. Uh, I think, actually, that might be Arkansas, not Missouri. Springdale, Arkansas. Does that sound right, Arkansas? Uh, it may be, yeah. Yeah. And then they also lost to uh, 4A Fort Scott in overtime and a Fort Scott team that is very good this year. So I tell you what, you know, Frontenac's played a pretty tough schedule this year. And, and that's not to say that Nickerson has it. We know that what the CKL has, but this Frontenac team is going to be pretty well uh, diverse. And I think the, the X factor, no matter how many games that Nickerson plays is, you know, is foul trouble, especially, I think there's two, actually probably three indispensable parts for this team. You know, we know Ava Jones, of course, Josie McLean. I would even uh, throw Kieran Anches in there as kind of an indisposable uh, member of this team that really can't afford to pick up foul trouble. It's not the deepest Nickerson team. If those three can stay on the floor, I do like them to, to make a run this weekend and, uh, you know, be playing on on Saturday. Well, the whole key, of course, for them is exactly what they did against Heston. Um, it wasn't just McLean. They had, I believe, two or three other players um, I think Pons, Anches, and Allen all hit at least one three. I can't remember the exact total amount. They had either seven or eight triples in that game. And, and if they do that, and that opens up things for Ava Jones, yeah, we, we could see them being in the uh, the final game on Saturday for sure. Well, Ava Jones isn't going to surprprise anybody. They, they, everyone, they're going team, teams are going to try to take her away. You know, they're going to throw every kind of defense at her. Now, the question is, like you said, you know, will Ava Jones get her, get away, get, get out of that and still manage to score 20 points and grab 12 rebounds? Or they're going to need, you know, McLean to, to score 14, Anches to score 10, Pons to score eight, et cetera. So it, it will be interesting to see. You know, we know that these teams are going to try to take Jones away, but easier said than done. Well, let's move into uh, 2A, where, of course, uh, we got both Sterling girls and boys into the state championship and also Breen Academy and Garden Plain, all area teams we have covered this year. Sterling, the only undefeated team, the girls, they're 23 and 0. They're going to take on uh, Mission Valley at 14 and 8. On their side of the bracket, uh, only once beaten Breen Academy team. They're 22-1. and one. Uh, Boy, Hillsborough gave them all they wanted in the sub-state. They'll take on Valley Heights. The five seed in this bracket is 21-2. and two. Um, It's just stacked. There's Pittsburgh Colgan at 21-0. and 0. Uh, So I misspoke. There is another undefeated team, the two seed, uh, Pittsburgh Colgan. They're going to play Garden Plain. 17 and six and then jackson heights the three seed 22 and one playing 19 and four smith center what would you think about a second round matchup of local teams breen academy and sterling well it wouldn't be the first time they played this year i believe uh, that was actually one of sterling's toughest games of the season if i'm not mistaken scott a single digit game is that that sound right i i believe it was yes i think it's like maybe six or seven points five points something like that Oh gosh, and I can't find the darn substate standings here. What where were where was Brandon uh, Whitewater? Whitewater. Why can I not or find Brent, that? Remington one. 
Now, for the life of me, I cannot find that one. Let me try something else here. Let me see if I can grab it here. Am I even in the right one? Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it was one of the tougher games of the season, obviously. You know, Sterling went down to Sublette and uh, Scott. They had every game down there was running clock. And yeah. uh, just, just, <laughs> just remarkable. 44-39 was the final. Uh, their second closest game of the season, other than an overtime win over Southeast of Saline. So I tell you what, and, and like we said all season, you know, Berean Academy, there may not be a team in, in, in Kansas that plays better defense than they do. And that that's the only loss that they've had this year. So that would be a pretty good semifinal matchup. Well, that would be a lot of fun. I know the course Ad Astra would love that if those two um, would match up against one another. Who do you, who else do you like coming out of there um, to to possibly get into the semis or the finals? Well, we are talking about Pittsburgh Colgan a little bit. Definitely you can't go wrong with an undefeated team. But Garden Plain always has a tendency to enter the, the the state tournament, it seems like, maybe not with the best record in the world. And then yet they're, 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 there they are on Saturday hosting up a trophy. So I want to <laughs> discount Garden Plain uh, to give Colgan a game there. And then, uh, you know, Smith Center is another team that I, I've kind of like I've heard some good things about. Uh, they play a pretty tough schedule. I believe they played Phillipsburg, who's got a D1 player. So, yeah, Smith Center's a well uh, well versed team. Also, two A is pretty pretty uh, pretty loaded there, Scott. Forty four thirty nine was that Breen Academy Sterling final um, back. It wasn't long ago. Just uh, it was on Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, I believe. It was a makeup. I think they played back to back that week. Um, the original date um, got canceled. So let's go over onto the boys' side where the Sterling Black Bears. I think. A, Maybe not a huge surprise, but they had a big lead out in Sublette on Ellenwood. Ellenwood tried to make a late charge, but Sterling held on for a six-point win. They're the sixth seed at 18-5. and five. They'll be taking on Linden, the three seed at 21-2. and two. Um, Undefeated Valley Falls is the one seed at 23-0, and, and there sets Hillsboro on Sterling's side of the bracket. They are the two seed. At 22 and one, they're going to take on Wichita Independent. Um, do you like Sterling in this game against Linden? And I, I we both believe that Hillsborough is the best team in 2A. I think I certainly like them against Independent. Do you think Sterling can make it um, to Friday against a matchup against Hillsborough? I, I think there's a good chance of that, and here's why. You know, let's not forget Sterling was one and. Is that is that right? They're one and four at one point this season, and then and now they're seventeen and five. They lost one game since that one and four start, and just an absolutely remarkable uh, job of just you know staying with. I mean, a one and four start. I mean that 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 would just hurt a lot of teams, and just essentially not not necessarily give up, but just kind of playing out the string from there. And their only loss since then was a fourteen point loss to Hugoton. So. You know, Sterling is uh, they're, they're, obviously they're playing very well right now. They got a lot of quality wins in there. They they can shoot. They can they they can defend. They they can defend. They can rebound. I mean, it, it's a team that really doesn't have uh, much in the way of weaknesses. Yeah, they have won eleven straight, and we of course I I got to witness <laughs> Zach Surface set and then break his own school record in back to back games for three point shooting. Uh, they certainly will need. Um, that shooting because they don't have a lot of size, but um, they, they they play good defense. Um, I think Cody Odin is a real underrated player. We see how I call it sneakily quick he is. That that first step that he takes, he can get to the basket. And if 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 they get enough outside shots, 
to go in and give gave Riffle a little bit of room to operate. They certainly could um, get to Hillsboro. I, I certainly, again, I think you and I both think that Hillsboro is is going to repeat. But I, I'd sure love to see Sterling and Hillsboro in that semifinal matchup. Yeah, I, I don't think that. I mean, there's an undefeated team in Valley Falls. You know, there's a good eight seed with Pittsburgh Colgan. St. Mary's is always pretty good. But let's be honest. I mean, Hillsboro is not just the favorite. They're the overwhelming favorite. Their only loss this season is by one point to Heston. <laughs> so yeah. That really, yeah, that, that tells – and they've beaten Heston as well. So that really tells you how good this Hillsboro team is. I, I don't see – Nothing would surprise me, but I I would probably be a little surprised if if Hillsborough isn't lifting that trophy again in Manhattan on Saturday. Uh, in Class One A Division One, uh, the one area team that we have was Maxville. They took out Little River um, in the championship game. They're twenty one and two. They got the five seed against Osborne, the four seed who's twenty one and two as well to play the winner of twenty two and one Oldby against Troy who's 16 and seven uh, have not seen Maxwell this year. I know that they split games with St. John late in the season. Of course, they got the big win um, in the sub-state semis against St. John. What, what do you think of Maxville's chances out at Dodge? Well, for, first of all, I think it isn't, isn't Norwich part of our area. I mean, very fringe perhaps, but I think Nor- 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 Norwich correct. is. Yes. yes. And, and they're the two seed at 22 and one. Uh, you know, I don't know very much about Maxville. Like you haven't seen them either. And it, it's a four or five matchup. You know, it, it's it's really, you know, anybody's uh, game when it's a, a four or five matchup like that and just kind of comes down to, to you know, who, who can get rid of the jitters first and who can settle into the game. You know, Maxwell's had a great season. Their only losses are to Ellenwood and then the St. John, two very good teams. Quality wins out there over St. John. They've beaten Victoria. You know, they beat Cunningham. They, they, they've, got, they've got some good wins out there. Uh, you know, beat Central Christian early on. Uh, Sunrise, they beat Sunrise. Uh, not the one with Grady Dick yet, keep in mind, but they did uh, beat the, the, the secondary Sunrise team or the, uh, the varsity team, not the, the prep academy team. So uh, it's, it's a good Maxville team, but that's, that's going to be a toss-up with Osborne. Over on the girls' side, we have a couple of area teams. Uh, we know Little River, who, boy, they had the life scared out of them by St. John, survived by one point in the championship game. It was either 39-38 or 40-39 to um, was the final of that game. They're 22-1. and They're the three seed. This is a great first-round matchup against the six-seed Burling game, who's 20-2. and And then our other area team, who certainly, in my opinion, Brad, has not gotten enough credit for the season they've had. Pretty Prairie is 22-1. and one. They're the five seed against 22-1, and one, four seed Osborne, and the top seed uh, is Hodgman County at 23-0, and 0, the two seed Centralia, who's 23-0. and 0. So let's talk about Little River and Pretty Prairie. I, I, this, I think this Little River-Burling game matchup is fantastic. Well, Burnley game, uh, they play a pretty tough schedule. I know they play a lot of those uh, teams in and around in Emporia, a lot of good teams around there like Madison, et cetera. So that's going to be a pretty good matchup. I mean, my goodness, when you got the, the, the sixth seed at 20 and two, that kind of looks like a traditional division, you know, a unified division one state tournament right there. 
And uh, yeah, that, I, I think both the area teams have a good chance there. And I agree with about Pretty Prairie. Just certainly you don't really hear a lot about them. They've got size. They've got speed. They've got, uh, even though they don't haven't made a state vol- uh, basketball since like, I think 1990, their volleyball team has been very well versed in state competition. So at least they have that going for them. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite to win, I mean, are you really going to go against Centralia? I mean, that they always <laughs> seem that they're there and basketball and volleyball. I would certainly never go against Centralia anyway. Well, for Ad Astra's sakes, we hope we see a pretty prairie Little River final. And it could happen. Um, two, two very good teams. Um, I'd love to see that matchup on Saturday. And then we take a quick look here. We'll go back up to, to Bueller here in a moment in 4A. Um, quick look at uh, Division Two of Class 1A Pratt, and it's I can't believe I'm saying this. The one seed Hanover at 22 and one is going on the boys' side is going to play Central Plains, the eight seed, who is four and 18. They were one and 18 when Substate started and won three in a row on their home floor to march just just down the road a few miles to Barton County Community College. Uh, Boy, it's hard to see Central Plains that they could stay in this ball game against a handover team that is just fantastic. Well, first of all, it's easy to pick on Central Plains, you know, and say that, well, this is why we need to, you know, to East-West. I agree. But, hey, let's give Central Plains credit. I mean, winning one game in the regular season and then winning three at Substate, you got to give them all kinds of credit for making it there. Uh, but, boy, I mean, Hanover, just like uh, Centralia, in uh, girls division one uh, a division one, uh, Hanover's the juggernauts in this classification. If it's not a running clock, I'll be shocked. I mean, that's how good Hanover is. It's not really an indictment on Central Plains as much as that just tells you how good Hanover is. I mean, Hanover's probably a pretty strong favorite to win this tournament again, and uh, I certainly would would be surprised if they weren't at the very least playing for the state championship on Saturday. Yeah, um, and, and the same thing. I'm the same way on Central Plains. When, when that bracket came out and you saw, hey, the one seed's 8-12, and 12, uh, why not us? And give credit to the coaching staff and those kids. You know, Peyton Ryan, he's a really nice player as a sophomore. He's going to be very, very good when he is a senior. I've heard that name before. Yeah. He's a <laughs> – yeah. Uh, he's going to be very good. And like I said, g- give them all the credit. I mean, shoot, they, they could have packed it in easy and said, you know, just, you know, forget this. And they went out, took advantage of their home floor and, and we'll see what they can do against Hanover. But uh, uh, it, it could be a long game, but again, give them credit for getting over to Barton County and they will join the lady Oilers and stop me. If we've heard this before, Brad, they're back to state. <laughs> the only thing that's surprising is there's not, there's not a zero in the loss column for them. Well, and it was to uh, undefeated number one in Class 2A. I had that ball game when Sterling went to Claflin and beat Central Plains. So Central Plains, not the one seed. They're the two seed at 22-1 and one against uh, St. John Bloit, St. John's Tipton. They're 17-6. and six. The top seed, undefeated Golden Plains. At twenty-two and zero, is there any doubt in your mind? Central Plains host a, hoisting a trophy on Saturday? No, absolutely not. I mean, they're Central Plains is going to win this tournament. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, but it's very, very likely that they win this tournament. I mean, Hanover sitting there as the six seed. Lebo's got a good team at uh, twenty-two and one. 
But, I mean, Central Plains is still Central Plains. I mean, just because there's not a zero in the loss column doesn't mean that they're vulnerable. They lost the undefeated Sterling team. But uh, I did want to mention uh, Hutchinson Central Christian, the, the number five seed, Scott. Oh, I'm sorry. What, I missed that. Yes. One of the most remarkable stats I came up with when doing some research for a story I wrote for Ad Astra Radio is they have allowed 40 points in a game twice this year. Mm-hmm. 41 and 42. 42 points is the most points Central Christian has allowed this year. Ten times they have held opponents to less than 20 points. <laughs> Ten times. 13 opponents have scored less than 30 against Central Christian. This is just a defensive juggernaut. I mean, it's remarkable what, what DJ Kaufman has done in uh, getting this team to buy into defense. I mean, sometimes when you have a team that this that is this good defensively, Maybe, you know, you sacrifice a little bit of offense, but I think in this case, I think they're, they're more than happy with that. I mean, this is a great defensive team, tough matchup coming with, with South Haven and then potentially with undefeated Golden Plains. But you know what? I want to put a pass central Christian to, to win that first game and maybe uh, lift up a trophy on Saturday. No, that would be, again, wouldn't that be fantastic if we had a, a Central Plains Central Christian? <laughs> and let's see, where are they at? Two, the two and the five, would they be on the same side? Nope. Nope, they're opposite. They would be on opposite sides of the bracket. So, um, boy, that would be that'd be fantastic. And again, that that is a great story uh, there in Hutchison. Well, let's go back up to four A. I know you, <laughs> you and I. Have been Why'd you wait so long, Scott? Ah, uh, well, we had to save this best <laughs> of class four A boys Thursday afternoon, two o'clock. The trilogy number two, eighteen <laughs> and four. Against number seven, there they are, the Bullpups of McPherson High School at 13 and 9. And, by the way, on that side of the brackets, kind of quietly in there as the three seed is Andale at 16 and 6. They take on Paola at 15 and 7. But what about, can, is there enough magic in that Bueller basketball team to defeat McPherson a third time? Well, if this was spring break week, unfortunately mine is next week. But if this was spring break, with our game being at six, I would have gone to that game at, at two o'clock up in Salina. I would have gone to it. I would have had enough time to go down to Cozy Inn afterwards, get some burgers, and then come back and check out our game. Uh, wow. I mean, first of all, or second of all, I should say, this should be a six or eight o'clock game, man. I mean, they're not, they wouldn't have had a bigger crowd ever for a state tournament game than they would have Bueller Mac like this. I mean, you, you can't ask for much more. Two communities that love their basketball, two communities that don't like each other. And they've already played twice this year, two great games. And now we're getting a rubber match in the third game with all the play for. Oh, gosh, this is what it's all about, Scott. This is so exciting for these two communities. Like I said, if I if this was spring break week, I would be up there in a heartbeat taking this game in. It would, it would be a fun one to see. I guess one question about that is, do you think when that bracket came out, do you think there was any of the this reaction from Bueller – or Bueller fans of oh, McPherson again. <laughs> you think yeah, there was much of that going on? No, I you know maybe a little bit from a perspective of that. You know, gosh, we can't even enjoy a, a two-game sweep over McPherson. We got to play him again now. This time at state. Hey, let's be honest. Those two wins are great, but you know what? If McPherson gets him this time, those two wins aren't going to mean very much. That's right. I mean, this is that. That's. I'm not going to say that's all that people will remember, but boy, will that 
that will dominate your memory if if Mac is able. It trump uh, it trumps the it trumps the everything. It does. It just does. Even though you would have beat him two out of three times if you win that big one at state, that's what it means. Over on the girls' side, uh, talk about a team that's got to be saying us again. It would be the Andale girls, rather the five seed at eighteen and four, and they look up <laughs> and there's Bishop Miege for their second straight year at, as the four seed at twenty and two. Mac is the eight seed, uh, fifteen and seven. They'll play undefeated Wellington on that same side of the bracket. Uh, we have seen Andale, the uh, Andale girls, a couple of times this year. Saw them against uh, Nickerson. We saw them in the the, the tournament. Of course, um, we all know about losing their head coach during the Haven Wildcat Classic. Um, they played an inspirational win against Garden Plain the very next day. Um, I saw him in the championship game. There just was nothing left that day when they got beat by Cheney. But what do you, what do you think about Andale? Do they have a better chance this year against Bishop Miege? Well, one, I, I have heard that one of Miege's best players who has signed to play Division One at Alabama, I think Alabama A&M, is out for the season with a torn ACL. And I've also heard that two of their best players are freshmen. Now, one of them is the, is, is the, the Verholz girl. Uh, whose sister is now at Louisville. She's got another sister at South Florida. And, of course, her, and of course, her grandfather is one Jim Baker, whose name is on the field house at, uh, at Bueller. So, you know, it's still Miege. Uh, it, it may not be the Miege teams of maybe the last few years, but, I mean, their only losses, I think, are to St. Thomas Aquinas and, like, Blue Valley Southwest or something like that. You know, they're still 20-2. and two. Terry English, quote-unquote, retired last year, but you know what? He's still on that bench as an assistant it's going to be tough. I think Scott, it, it really is. Yeah. I, Andale's good, but again, Miege is just one of those. that seems like they, they don't rebuild, they reload. And that just kind of feels like um, not what they don't have. Maybe quote unquote, that superstar on this team this year, but this is still, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Miege actually win the whole thing, let alone the game against Andale. And that's uh, and that's saying quite a bit because I think Wellington is really good, Scott. I mean, they're undefeated; they're the top seed. Uh, they've really only been pushed a couple times this year, including by Clearwater, who took them to overtime. Uh, trying to see if they played McPherson this year, they did not, but they did beat Cheney this year. Beat Cheney by six. They beat Nandale this year. Beat them by eight. So you know, this is a very good Wellington team at the, at the top of the standings. Uh, are they good enough to beat Bishop Miege? Again, I would probably say probably not, but if anybody can in this field, I would probably say the most likely one is Wellington. So that's kind of the, the preview. Our, in, our full schedule um, is up at adastoradio.com and the sports page. We will, we will take you home through Saturday when we will crown state champions all around the state. Well, let's move into the other um, portion of our postseason coverage, Brad. I will be back at in Park City at Hartman Arena at noon on Friday, where the Sterling Lady Warriors will open up the 64-team field NAI Women's National Basketball Tournament on the floor where they just won the KCAC Tournament a week ago Monday. They're, they're the four seed in the Kramer bracket they're going to take on the 13 seed a 22 and 10 eastern oregon lady mountie team um, it's going to be the first ever matchup between these two schools the other side of the bracket if sterling would win 
uh, I've got it here somewhere in all these papers, um, is uh, the five seed Dort. They are out of the GPAC against the 12 seed Indiana University East College out of um, Indiana. So the as I first looked at this, Brad, looking at this lineup, this is a, a Mountie team that is just huge. And I mean, just consistent. I look at these guards, there's guards, 5'8", 5'10", 5'11", 5'10", 5'11", 5'11", 5'11", all over this roster. But their leading scorer is 5'2", their point guard. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Her name's Sailor um, Leafkey. I got to get a lot of pronunciations for this team. Uh, she comes in averaging uh, over 15 and a half a game, shoots the three above 33%. She was the fourth leading scorer in the Cascade Collegiate Conference, out of which Eastern Oregon plays. And then they have two more players, a couple of their their bigs, uh, Taylor Strickland, a 5'10 guard, averages 13 and a half. And then Addison Harris, let me get on my roster here. Uh, she is a 5'10 freshman guard out of Idaho. Um, what popped off the page to me, Brad, plus eight a game in rebounding. This Eastern Oregon team with that size has done a great job on the boards, which is of concern. Sterling, you know, they have Wilson and Clayson um, at good size, and that's really their biggest players. But minus three and a half in the turnover margin, where Sterling is plus four and a half. And that's where I think Sterling's going to be able to concentrate on in this game is, is apply the pressure. And again, Sterling averages 84 a game. This Eastern Oregon team at 70, I think, again, as Sterling has all year, they've got a pressure and they've got to cause some turnovers, hold their own on the boards. And like they did against Avila, be very aggressive. They got to the foul line, I, I, I think, 26 times against Avila in the championship game at Hartman and made 24. And I think if they can do that, um, they, they've got a great chance to advance to Saturday. Sounds an awful lot like, and you're not going to like me saying this, uh, the, the Jayhawks matchup against matchups against TCU. TCU, one of the great rebounding teams in the country who does not take care of the ball, but what they do the two times against the Jayhawks, they took care of it, and mm. they rebounded well both those games. So it, it really seems like this is going to be a matchup between Sterling and Eastern Oregon, whichever team can impose their strength on the other. You know, if Eastern Oregon takes care of the ball, you know they're probably going to rebound well, whether that's uh, you know uh, a slight margin in, Ster- in Sterling's favor or maybe a ten you know rebound margin in their favor. Uh, you know that the Eastern Oregon is probably going to rebound the ball well. On the other hand, though, if Sterling can get some baskets in transition, get some steals, force some turnovers. Uh, that, you know, there, there's nothing that Eastern Oregon is going to be able to do but pick the ball out of the basket. There's no rebound to be had there. So I think it's whatever team can really impose their impose their strength against the other team that uh, is going to win this game. Yeah, I got to visit actually with Coach Bassett earlier today, kind of get, you know, scouting report and all of that. I mean, he said one thing, they're just ready to play. I mean, this this will be 11 days from their previous game against Avila to now. So they're they're well rested. Um, any little nicks and bruises, they've got all healed up. He, she said they're, they're just ready to play, but they will do some things a little bit different with the uh, defending ball screens, um, but she was she was pretty excited uh, to, to get to this matchup. She like she likes the matchup, um, a possible second round matchup. She talked about Dort um, being a little bit more of a 
of a half court team where the IU East is uh, loves to push the pace. So, um, you know, they're already, they'll be scouting. If they win, they'll get to watch that game would be the two o'clock game there at Hartman. So there would be a two completely different game plans for those two, but uh, you could just tell that the excitement was there to, to get out and, and, and get this thing going. And there, there'd be a ton of good basketball. I'm going to be, um, going over to the Garvey Center at Friends for the evening men's session. I'll be calling those for the for the national broadcast. I'm excited. I'll get to see the Bethel men um, play over there. So that's that's going to be a lot of fun. So I encourage people. Bethel's playing Briarcliff, and then um, St. Francis of Indiana against Northwestern Iowa will be the two games um, that I have there and at the Garvey Center. And the Tabor women will be playing. Um, the first game at noon against Clark, Iowa, uh, at uh, over at uh, Garvey Center, Mid America Christian, and then the Briar Cliff uh, of Iowa will be the other men's game, and then the men's games at Hartman that evening. These are featuring a couple of KCAC teams: the one seed Oklahoma Westland and St. Catherine, California, IU South Bend of Indiana the eight seed against the nine seed Kansas Wesleyan. So normally Kansas Wesleyan getting an at large would have got shipped out, but the way it worked out needing the eight, nine matchup there, they get to play close to home. I think K-Dub will have a great chance. We could maybe see K-Dub Oklahoma Wesleyan Saturday for the regional championship game at Hartman. How great would that be? Yeah, that would be great to see, you know, an all KCAC a regional championship game like that. And I was just thinking, you know, a lot of good options for basketball fans around here right now. Oh, uh, not, you know, not just uh, for the various state tournaments, but, you know, Hartman and uh, down, down at friends university. So, uh, and, and also I, I look at the women's bracket, you know, a couple of uh, Northeastern teams made it as well uh, with uh, Haskell. And I think uh, was a minute or Benedictine or mid American Nazarene or something like that. Yeah, Mid America yeah. Nazarene, eleven uh, seed going down to Texas, and Haskell the sixteen going down to Kentucky. So, pretty good, uh, pretty good year for uh, women's ba- NAI basketball here in Kansas. And it, it's a good time for or a great time for Sterling basketball fans. Unfortunately, I think we're going to have some split attendance, right? Of you know the the game being, although depending on you know if the if the girls and boys advance. You might be able to take in the noon game at Hartman and still get to Manhattan in time to see the the girls and the boys play, depending on the time. You might at least get to take in one of them. Yeah, and uh, you know, so, some good, great, uh, great venues, obviously. And a lot, yeah, if, if if you live in Sterling, man, you gotta be feeling like uh, you, you said the <laughs> jackpot with basketball right now, and not just both your. Uh, you know, high school teams going to state, but also your college. I mean, you got two schools in the, in, the, in this tiny little town, and they, and they both uh, are playing basketball still. So again, that'll be eleven forty-five pregame on ninety-five-nine Friday, and Sterling and Eastern Oregon. I'll have the call at noon on Friday. Well, a lot of news right now coming out of Sterling College, Brad. They they have a new football coach, uh, Darren Jackson. The second has been hired. Uh, he comes out of Trinity Bible College, his most recent head, his head coach there, where uh, he led a program that he inherited just 26 returners and coached them to their best record in six years. Uh, he has worked at basically every level. He has been in um, Division II, Colorado Mesa, 
Um, he helped coach the number one defense in 2014 in Division II football in the country at Colorado Mesa. Uh, the, the one that we're all going to be familiar with is he coached on the Liberty staff with a blast from the past, Turner Gill, when they beat Baylor um, in football season. And he's also um, coached at Evangel, which is going to be a new member in the KCAC starting in the 23-24 school year. So um, I tell you what, Brad, the resume is there. I, I am really liking this hire. I've not, not had the chance to meet Coach Jackson yet, but I'm, I'm really liking what I hear. Well, it's, uh, I think it's a good time for Sterling College football. You know, they had a pretty good season this past year, kind of, uh, you know, they won the games that they should have won, and then they, they lost to maybe the teams that, uh, you know, pretty much every game, if you set odds on the on the Sterling College football games this year, uh, there probably wasn't a single upset in any of them. They won the games they're expected to win, and then they lost the games they probably didn't, didn't expect them to win, but they got a lot of good kids back, and uh, a lot of young players and a lot of good players. I know that there's there's always going to be some holes to fill, but I think uh, it's a pretty good time to step into the Sterling College program. So that's the the new football coach. I'm going to be excited. Hopefully, I'll be able to 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 meet him while I'm over there for some of the Sterling College baseball uh, this spring. Uh, more news out of there, Brad. Is Sterling College is now looking for a new men's basketball coach as they have made a change and decided not to. Um, have coach Adam Hooker return for next season. So they're beginning, of course, a nationwide search for Warriors men's basketball. And you know, something that popped into my head, Brad, and I know it would never happen. Uh, I am sure he wouldn't be interested in it, but do you know who popped to my mind right at the very start of who I would be intrigued to see what he could do with this program? Well, I'm kind of curious to hear what you would think. Phil Anderson. Okay. He's, he's a, never he's, he's never coached coach. <laughs> as head coach at the collegiate level. He has served as both the assistant men's and women's current women's assistant to John Onches there with the Hutch women. And of course, he was on uh, staff. Uh, come on, bring me the head coach. Was that when McLean was there? Yeah. So he's been an assistant for a national championship team, and, and on the men's side, and on the women's side, a, a national runner-up team. And, of course, he led Hutch High to state championships. Um, and, of course, he was my high school coach at Lions, where he led us to a runner-up in our senior year at the state tournament. I, I, I'm sure it would be nothing Phil would be interested in at this stage of his life. I think he's – well, I know he's extremely happy with what he's doing now. But I, I would be intrigued to see what he could do um, at the helm of a college basketball program. Yeah, at this stage in his career, I don't think that uh, a head coaching job would probably be in the cards unless it would be for like a transitional period, you know, like maybe a year or two or something like that. But um, he's one of the best basketball minds out there. I mean, anybody who knows Phil will agree with that. I remember when he got uh, let go at Hutchinson High School, uh, the Garden City coach had kind of joked with me. He goes, well, on one hand, I'm, I'm really happy because I don't have to worry about him, uh, you know, coaching against him again because it's almost impossible. But on the other hand, it was just really sad because he said he's one of the greatest coaches he's ever known. And he just couldn't fathom, you know, what happened at Hutch high. So definitely uh, he would, I mean, just one of the great basketball minds definitely would be a wild card in a dark horse, but Hey, what's worse. He's going to say no. 
yeah and i mean i don't i don't believe phil's on their radar but it just i don't know it just popped in my head when when i saw that position come open so hopefully uh we'll talk about it when they do make a hire um they can get somebody that's gonna gonna turn things around as they were over in the conference this year um and just won two overall games as a program so we'll see who becomes the next head coach at sterling college in Sterling College, Brad, they now have their second ever national championship, and it comes in women's swimming. Sydney Schmidt at nationals took the podium in the top place in the 100-yard butterfly. It's first ever, of course, in swimming history and the second ever in school history. So that, that's, that's quite a feat for a, a very young program. I think this program is only... Oh, maybe four years old, four or five years old. So that, that's pretty remarkable to get somebody in there in that short of a time in a new program that goes and wins a national title. You said butterfly? Yes. I'm tired just thinking about this. So it's when the oh, butterfly, 100, 100 yards, let alone one yard or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, that, that, that's a pretty cool deal. I know said uh, looking at their roster, they got a lot of local kids. So, you know, like a lot of other Sterling uh uh, sports, you know, they definitely build from around, but they definitely have uh, more than just, you know, Kansans as, you know, they have a lot of good uh, swimmers and yeah, hey, hey, it's uh, it's something to be proud of, uh, you know, get a national champion like that. Well, let's move on as the postseason will ramp up pretty quickly for the KU Jayhawks who were able to persevere on senior day. What was that 30? Was that their 39th senior day win in a row? Yep. Uh, against Texas, it took overtime, but they ended up winning. I believe it was eighty to seventy-three was the final to get their twentieth um, Big Twelve basketball championship shared with Baylor this season. Um, I have not seen. Have you seen the bracket for the Big Twelve tournament? I have. I got it right here, actually. All right. Let me try to get that pulled up myself. Go ahead and did they get the one or the two? They got the one based on the fact that Texas Tech swept Baylor this year. Okay. Uh, I can just run down the matchups. Uh, because Oklahoma State is ineligible for postseason play, there's actually nine teams at the tournament this year. So you only got one play-in game tomorrow. That'll be K-State West Virginia at uh, 7 o'clock. Is that Eastern time? Yeah, Eastern time. So 6 o'clock uh, Central time. And the winner will play Kansas the next afternoon. So a quick turnaround for either K-State or West Virginia. But not exactly a layup for the Jayhawks. And then uh, the quarterfinals actually start uh, on Thursday at 11.30 with Texas and TCU. What a matchup that is. Mm. And then the e evening session features number two, Baylor, against number seven, Oklahoma. And then an intriguing matchup, I think, the way Iowa State's been playing much better lately. Number six, Iowa State taking on number three, Texas Tech. Probably the two best defensive teams in the Big 12 right there. Boy, it, it's strange to say this this time of the year, but I, I still – really don't know what to expect out of this Kansas team. It's just a, it's, it's a strange team. Uh, I think I misspoke. It was 70 to 63 in overtime against Texas. Um, David McCormick had a big game there. He's, he's been up and down as has KU here in the last, well, we'll call it two weeks of the season. Looked like they had the regular season title wrapped up, struggled down the stretch. Um, I think maybe, and what I'm really hoping is that, being able to get two overtime and win it with Ochai Abaji going 0 for 11 from the floor in regulation, I think that 
hopefully that gets them over the hill to say, hey, even if Ochai has a, an off night, we can still win, knowing that those are going to be few and far between. Maybe that gets this team back on a roll for the postseason. Well, let's let's not forget one thing here, Scott, that going back to the Sunflower Showdown on February 22nd, Kansas played five games in 11 days. Yeah. That's, that, that's a lot of basketball, including four and eight when they because they had that makeup game with TCU lodged in that week. So they've played a lot of basketball. And so, you know, they got Sunday, Monday off, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday off. So then they'll play potentially, hopefully for Jock fans, three games in three days, which will. But but the good thing about that, though, is that everyone will be on the equal playing field. Everybody will be playing their, you know, back to back nights or three games in three days, except for the play in game, obviously. So. You know, they threw that TCU game in, in there. And uh, actually, when you consider all that, you know, the fact that they beat a ranked Texas team, a very good defensive Texas team, 63 points in 45 minutes, too, that the Jayhawks allowed. That was also pretty encouraging. So it has been a, a struggle these last four games since they beat K-State 102 to 83. But, uh, you know, that's that's three tournament teams they played there in four games, Baylor, TCU and Texas. So but, yeah, I agree, Scott. I don't know really what to make of it still, you know. <laughs> I, I, I it, it's if they win the Big Twelve tournament, I wouldn't be surprised. If they played K State or West Virginia and and got upset, you know what? It really wouldn't surprise me either. No, that and that's it, it's hard to say this time of year, but it is kind of a an unpredictable team. I think I told somebody this is a Jayhawk team. When the big dance comes around, I could see in the final four, and I can see them getting bounced in the round of thirty-two. Bouncing around 32 and but by 20 points, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just going to come down to matchups, I think, with this team. They don't match up well against the likes of Kentucky, you know, a very athletic team. And they don't match up well against big, strong teams like TCU either. Uh, I actually think that some of the teams they match up well against are, are teams like uh, Texas. I think TC or not TCU, but Texas Tech isn't a bad matchup for Kansas. I don't think Baylor's a bad matchup for Kansas. It's just, and that's just really what it's going to come down to is matchups. Well, let's talk a little bit more uh, basketball and a couple other little topics. Um, what did you make of Coach K's final game um, at Cameron Indoor? Of course, it was a loss to rival North Carolina um, by, I think it was something in the neighborhood of 94 to 81. It was, it was double figures. What do you make of, here we go again with the um, – I don't want to call it a fracas. It really nothing ever came of it, but the handshake line coaches, not shaking hands with other coaches. And, and then, and then coach K I saw a, a quick write up on when he was interviewed to really kind of laying it to his kids for being unacceptable. And they played really horrible. What, what did you think of that whole thing in his last game at Cameron? Well, when I, when I, when I stopped laughing, <laughs> um, <laughs> Me and you too. Huh? Well, the, 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 look, I mean, we we can't discount what Mike Shashevsky has done in his career. I mean, there's there's no question that he is one of the great coaches in college basketball history. To the point where I'm going to make a prediction and say that I don't know if Duke can survive without Shashevsky. Uh, they had some some moments of success, you know, uh, before him, like in the '60s and '70s, I think, but not not to what the extent they had. And that's the difference, I think, between Indiana, Duke, and North and, and, and North Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky. Those three, those latter three, have withstood coaching changes and continue to be, you know, among the nation's elite year in and year out. You know, will Duke sustain it? 
I'm skeptical, man. And, you know, the fact that he kind of threw his kids under the bus, hey, Mike, why, why, didn't, why didn't you coach a little bit better in that game too, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. But here, here's an interesting tidbit, Scott, is I think I saw the ratings for that game were actually pretty high, not surprisingly. And I think they averaged something like 3.4 million viewers throughout the telecast. It peaked right at the end. Almost 5 million people were watching, and you know it was because they were taken in that loss. Oh, yeah, I was like you. I, I chuckled when I saw the the final score before I read some of the other stuff because, uh, I mean, I make no bones about it. I I think Coach K is one of the best to have ever done it. I think he, he will always be too synonymous with USA basketball. Um, he did that for a long time, um, but I make no bones about it. I, the, the only time that I ever root for North Carolina twice a year or sometimes three times a year is when <laughs> Duke. And I never root for them ever again, but um, they're on the bottom of my list. They always have, always will be. Um, so we'll see what um, those two teams can do. Um, well, they'll have the ACC tournament and then the big dance, which, of course, both of them will be in. And one other little basketball note, Brad, I'm pretty excited once I get hopefully done with the Lady Warriors game on Saturday at Nationals, if they can win in advance on Saturday, um, I'm I'm going to jump headfirst into some minor league basketball this Sunday. Brad, I'm going to have the Wichita Wizards um, home opener at the Garvey Center in Wichita at 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Pretty excited to go see. This is a um, like a minor league for uh, players. I think they're trying to get recognized to probably the high end would be to get maybe to the G League. Um, I think a lot of these kids are looking to maybe get a chance to play overseas or possibly Mexico or Canada where there's some pretty good um, professional leagues. But uh, all the rules are like an NBA game. You'll see the 24-second clock, um, the six fouls. You know, you can have an uh, illegal defense and those type of rules. So I, I'm really excited to, to, to get in there and, and give that a go on Sunday. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. I might come down to a game or two. I'm just kind of curious to see how the the caliber of basketball, you know, like you said, it's not guys who are going to be playing in the NBA one day, but you know what? Uh, that doesn't mean it's not a good quality basketball. I mean, some of the best basketball players in the world are in the NBA, but that doesn't mean that the next tier aren't good players too. So, yeah, I'm definitely curious. I'd like to come down and maybe take in a game or two. Yeah, they. I think they were the best team in their portion of the league um, last year, and of course, a strange year with COVID and everything. A couple of uh, former Friends players I'm familiar with on the team, um, so I, I am anxious to see that. And uh, we will have that online. Um, I think it's going to be, unless we have a different link, it may be through the Friends website. I'm going to try to get uh, more information for that so people will know um, where they can pull up a, a video and watch that but that's uh, i'm looking forward to that um, a former broadcast colleague terry stuckey uh, that did games for ad astra is their head coach so um excited to work with him again so that'll again that'll be uh sunday afternoon at two o'clock again with the time change this weekend that'll uh, maybe hopefully not throw off the attendance but if you can make it out um, we'd love to have you there for that um we'll move on to uh another week and another week of bickering and no decisions for major league baseball brad have you seen if they officially canceled another week of the season yet i have not but i did see something on twitter tonight where they 
they're optimistic that the the current offer may be something that will you know be be, be mutually agreed upon. I don't know. I mean, we were kind of they they claimed that we were kind of close last time too. So I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but no, I really haven't seen any any updates or anything. I, I guess in the long run, how, how much of the season do you think they lose out of this? I'm gonna get if 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 I make a prediction, I will bet we don't see Major League Baseball until at least May. May. Yeah. You're thinking they lose a, a, a well, yeah, solid month of the season. Yeah, I mean we're already in March. Uh, the earliest we're going to see baseball right now is maybe at the earliest before Easter, which is late this year. Uh, but man, I mean, e- even if they say tomorrow, hey, we we've got a deal, we're getting and we're going to start the season, you know, here in a month or so. I mean, you're you're looking at let me look at a calendar here. You know, you're <laughs> looking at opening the season at the probably the very earliest would be Monday, April 11th. So that's the week before Easter, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the best case scenario is that they start baseball before Easter. And I tell you, if, if let's say they do start, let's say they started actually on the 18th. Let's say that they get it done within the next week. That's only two weeks before May. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of time. If, if we're going to see April baseball, there's not a lot, not a lot of time left. I think I'm in the same boat. My first thought was we're going to lose at least a month of the season, which would be what somewhere judging on how many off days they get. Would that be what? 20, 26, 27 games. It'd be, yeah, it it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, probably 25 or more games, you know, between 25, 26, 27 games or something like that. So, you know, you're taking a 162 game schedule, and if they don't start until May, you're probably looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of what 140 games, maybe. Wow. Yeah, I think that might be realistic. I think my opinion right now is that was probably going to be the max. Would be somewhere in that 140, maybe 45 games um, at the like you said, the current pace um, they are going. It's just. I don't know. It's just aggravating since, you know, we can't watch our favorite team anyhow because of the um, all the broadcasting rights and all of that. I'm not even going to get into that tonight. I'll, I'll, I'll get off on a, another tangent on that some other time. Um, so that's that's the status of Major League Baseball. Um, a couple of big things coming out of the NFL. And really, this is Tuesday earlier in the day. Um, let's talk about first Green Bay. And of course, none of this is official until the league year begins, which is still another, was that March 16th or something like that when the new league year begins that um, it appears that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have agreed. And I was surprised by this, Brad, a four-year deal to a 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers to stay and finish his career in Green Bay, I guess, um, are you surprised at all? The only, I, I'm not surprised he's staying in Green Bay. I, I was surprised they gave him four years. Well, that's probably what he wanted. I mean, I'm sure they probably said, "Hey, if, if you want me to stay in Green Bay, here's what I need." And they said, "Yes, sir. Here's what. Here's here it is." So I'm sure that's kind of what it boiled down to there. Uh, and and they also could be doing that another reason um, to spread the money out to where it wasn't such a cap hit, so maybe they can put more around him. Right, and like someone said this week on on social media, that the NFL cap is actually more of a myth than anything else. There's so many ways to get around it. So, does it exist? Yes. Are there a multitude multitude of ways to get around it? Yes. 
So that was the first big news. The other one, I'm going to try to see if I can bring up some of these details because it, it affects our Kansas City Chiefs, Brad, because Russell Wilson apparently is going to go from the Seattle Seahawks, and this pains me to even utter the words, to become the Denver Broncos starting quarterback so that the Chiefs would have to play against Russell Wilson's Denver Broncos twice a season, which immediately makes the Broncos, who had a pretty good defense this last year, much, much better. However, I'm trying to find what they had to give up. Um, let's see. They let's Drew Locke, one of the quarterbacks, Noah Fant, a pretty good tight end, defensive lineman, Shelby Harris, two first round picks in this year's draft, the number nine overall. And then in 2023, those are the 2022 and 2023 first round, two second round picks in 22 and 23, and a 2022 fifth round selection. And I think the Seahawks got a fourth round pick out of that deal. Um, Boy, it, it sounds like an awful lot to give up to get Russell Wilson. Of course, if it makes them good and competitive and a playoff team right now it's worth it what did you think of the trade i don't know i mean did the denver broncos become a better team uh on tuesday yes there there's absolutely no question that they became a better team is russell wilson is the, is he going to take them from 7 and 10 to 13 and 4 i i don't know scott i mean he's 33 he's not young um, and I know the players play longer today than norm- than they normally do, but at the same time, I mean, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are kind of the outliers with everything. I mean, not every quarterback is going to play until they're 42, 43 years old. It's just not going to happen. It, again, did, did, did the Broncos become better today? Yes. But if they don't go out in, in the next four or five years, and, let's, and this may sound extreme, but if they don't go win a Super Bowl, this could be a catastrophic move long-term for them. They gave up a lot for this. And, hey, flags fly forever. If they go out and win the Super Bowl here in the, next, in the next few years, it's completely worth it. But at the same time, making the playoffs in the AFC is going to be tough. You can have a good team and not make the playoffs. We saw that this year. The Colts were a pretty good team. They didn't make the playoffs this year. And when you consider that you got the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders made the playoffs this year, the the, the Bengals, the Bills, the Ravens are doing some good things. The Colts were a good young team. Uh, uh, the, the Patriots are, aren't going to go anywhere. They're, they're not going to win Super Bowls like they did, but they're still a good team. I don't know, man. It's just – I'm having a hard time feeling it. Again, Denver's a better team today. They're, they're closer to a playoff team and a, and a division winner today than they were yesterday. But they gave up an awful lot, Scott. And if they can't at least go to a Super Bowl in these next few years with, with Russell Wilson, this could be a catastrophic trade. The uh, See, the Minnesota Vikings and Herschel Walker. Um, <laughs> that, right. One of the things that came to my mind. Of course, it greatly benefited my Cowboys back in those days that went on where they would win three three Super Bowls in four years. I don't know if it's quite to that extent, but I'm with you. This is a lot going over to Seattle. I mean, I see a stat here. They had to do something. It says the Broncos, they've used 11 different starting quarterbacks 
since Peyton Manning retired following the 2016 season. That's tied for the most in the NFL over that span. They clearly had to do something at quarterback, but do you weaken your entire team to do it uh, and your future? I mean, all those picks that they gave up, um, two first, two second, and a fifth, that's, that's a ton. And like I said, a very good tight end. Noah Fant had a good season this last year. Shelby Harris is a solid um, defensive lineman. Now, Drew Locke, I think, I don't know if the jury's probably pretty much in on him that he's never going to be a starting quarterback in the league. I look at this from the Seattle side of things. They were a below 500 team with Russell Wilson last year. I think this makes all the sense in the world for Seattle to do this because they weren't going to be a playoff team this next year with Russell Wilson. So, Hey, look to the future, get all these picks. Um, some of which are going to occur in this draft. And I guess my next thought with Seattle, do you use one of those top picks to go get your future quarterback? Hers kind of a weak draft class this year for uh, quarterbacks, but I don't think they got a draft pick this year. Did they Scott? Um, or our first round pick anyway from the well, Broncos. First round picks, twenty twenty two, number nine overall. Okay, okay, so they did so they do number nine this year in the first round, um, and number forty overall with one of their second round picks. I, I I've heard it's kind of a weak draft class for uh, for quarterbacks. So, uh, I, and, and you know what, you can also use these draft picks as leverage to, to make a trade. So who knows what they might be doing with that. Uh, so I, yeah, I do think, but it does, uh, it does kind of beg the question, why would the Seahawks maybe give up a franchise quarterback? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Russell Wilson, when healthy is an elite quarterback. He, he is one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. It just seems a little odd though. Also why you don't usually see elite quarterbacks get traded like this. And I mean, late in their careers, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Kurt Warner. Yes. You can see something like that happening, but. Russell Wilson isn't quite at the tail end of his career. If he if he was 36, 37 years old, okay, yeah, they're they're ready to start afresh. He's still a little young for that. So I don't know if maybe the Seahawks know something and they're just not letting anybody else know about it. No, he wasn't Russell Wilson wasn't great last year. Let's not forget that. He got hurt and then he came back and he really wasn't very good. So I don't know if they just didn't want to have to deal with that or I don't know. It it on the surface, it seems like a, a great win-win for these teams, you know, rebuilding. Then you got your franchise quarterback, but I don't know. I, I, it, 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 I think it's a major gamble for the Broncos. It may pay off, but I still think it's a major gamble. I, I, I agree. I, I think if, if I was picking a winner between these two teams in this trade, I would go with the Seahawks. I just think with everything that they got, and like you said, they don't have to draft a quarterback. They could use some of these picks. Um, for a trade or I don't know that there's really uh, a big free agent splash that they could make with a quarterback, but um, I think they could, um, I think they could use these if used wisely um, very well to make themselves better right away um, with these picks. So uh, it would be interesting to see. Um, selfishly, I certainly hope it doesn't work out for the Broncos because I want to see um, the chiefs continue dominating Denver as they have for the last several seasons. Um, so that's most of our uh, regular topics for this week. So we can move in the final thoughts, unless you want to give us a, a quick little preview 
on the Blue Dragon men and women both heading to national tournaments. Well, that, that was actually what I was going to discuss for my final thoughts is that the um, both Hutchinson Community College basketball teams have made it to nationals. The women are as the Region 6 champion and the men as an at-large after losing an overtime thriller to Dodge City. Uh, but, boy, I tell you, uh, just want to start with the women and the, and the uh, job that Coach John Anches and his staff did this year. At one point, they were 2-2 two and two and then 4-3 and three and even 7-4 and four in conference play. And you're thinking, you know, this this just isn't a very good team this year. I mean, they're, they're just average. You know, if they, if they finish fourth place and get a first-round bye, maybe make the semifinals, and you're thinking, okay, that would be a pretty good season. Well, instead, they go out and lose one game the rest of the season. They tie for the conference championship, and then they go win the regionals. So they're on their way to nationals. And uh, I was at their championship game, and they just clobbered everybody in postseason. I mean, they that game against Barton wasn't even close in the championship game. They are up by double digits most of the way. And uh, definitely, you know, kudos to the Blue Dragons for shaking off a, a, a pretty tough start. You know, again, four and three at one point in conference play. And I think they're in somewhere like in sixth or seventh place even. And then the men with seven losses on the season, but three of them to Dodge City, who's the number two overall seed. And that game, Scott, let me tell you how that game uh, – here's how here's how regulation ended, uh, Scott. Hutch had the ball, no shot clock, and they take a shot like maybe six seconds left and airballed it, actually. Dodge gets the rebound. They go coast to coast, and they flip in the layup at the buzzer. It was one of those that pretty much everybody knew was not going to count. They went to the replay to verify it. The call on the court was no good. Dodge didn't even really celebrate it that much uh, because we kind of knew that it, was, it wasn't going to count. And then uh, over time, Dodge once again has the ball and a chance to win. Or this time, Dodge has the ball, excuse me, and a chance to win the game. And they, the, they, they, Hutch makes a switch on the point guard. Ball gets free. Hutch has a chance, it looks like, to knock the ball down the court and go win the game. I mean, there's there's like six seconds left. Somehow the Dodge point guard f- flies on top of the ball, gets it back. There's four Blue Dragons breaking the other way. There's two Dodge City players trying to get back, so it's essentially now a three-on-one for Dodge City. They score an uncontested layup with six-tenths of a second left to win. But again, Dodge is the number two seed, uh, one of the best teams in, in junior college basketball. But I tell you what, uh, next week on Monday, the Blue Dragons have the 830 game. They play a fun brand of basketball. Uh, may not be a bad thing for fans to come down there and check it out as they'll take on Connor State out of Oklahoma. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, that's a it's a great, to me, it's a great first year uh, for head coach Tommy DeSalm to get him um right back in the nationals and again they'll have to play in that first round but still you never know yeah you just got to get in the dance and then you see what happens yeah right and you know tommy took him to the uh cali to the national championship game last year and then he brings a brand new team up with, with him to hutch and you know they they kind of had some growing pains later in the season they lost three in a row at one point but you know they're playing pretty good basketball right now they're they're fairly healthy they get a little bit of time off before they play on monday and of course you can get the home crowd there as well and probably several from uh, Little River will be up there to watch that game. Right. Today. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be spring break week, so great chance for all the Little River faithful to go watch Jaden Garrison, who I understand is having a great year. Yeah, he absolutely is. He uh, was actually on the floor quite a bit in overtime, so de- definitely uh, looking forward to see some Little River fans coming on down. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be a good week of basketball no matter what, but hopefully the Blue Dragons can can hang on for a couple days, maybe even get into the quarterfinals. But my final thoughts to just kind of 
piggyback off of that a little bit. I, I just I remember walking into the the gym on Saturday there at Nickerson High School to go set everything up to get ready for the sub-state championship games. And uh, there was already quite a few people in the the gym. I got everything set up, ready to go, went to the hospitality room. And I'm telling you what, Brad, when I came out of there, we were still 20-plus minutes before game time. I looked in the gym, and it's like, my gosh, the line to get in was still out the door into the parking lot, and the gym was almost already full. Um, It was amazing, amazing loud crowds, um, enthusiastic crowds. And I just thought to myself, this is what it's about. I just, I love that atmosphere of postseason basketball and anybody that's able to get out um, to the state tournaments. I understand we're supposed to have a little bit of weather tomorrow night, maybe first thing Thursday, not, not supposed to be a big winter storm, but could cause a little bit of slow go, maybe that first evening or next morning. But if you can make it out and support your local team, it's just that atmosphere. It's something those kids will never forget. And it's, it's something I never forget. I, I just don't get tired of it. I just I love this time of year. And, I you know, I can't wait to get um, to the sports arena tomorrow night um, for the Heston boys because it's just it's 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 a, an experience you won't forget and, and trust me the the kids will never forget it and and you just you just want to be there to experience this week well you never know what you're going to experience at these state tournaments i mean i can still remember some games from covering the 2001 and 2002 state tournaments and and hayes and and covering garden city in their first state tournament in you know several years uh, like 15 out in, in 2003 and, you know, two years ago when they canceled the rest of the tournament due to COVID, you know, seeing Halstead win that over double overtime game and literally covering the last high school athletic event of the entire season and just seeing the excitement on their faces and coach Derek Schutte trying to put on a brave face because he knew uh, you just never know what you're going to see. And just, you know, some of these memories stay with you forever. They do. And I'm, I'm hoping that's what we will see this week at, at state. And I hope I see something like that as well in Wichita at the NAIA national opening round. So again, if you want our full broadcast schedule, um, it's up at adasterradio.com on the sports page. And Brad and I will be in Hutchison for the Heston and Heston boys and the Nickerson girls. And then again, join us next week. We'll break down uh, the state championship and national tournaments And we'll talk a lot more about those. But for this week's View from the Press Box, this for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week.